Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. So, James chapter 3. We're going back into the book of James. And James chapter 3 talks about the tongue. Taming the tongue. Because the tongue is really who we are. The tongue tells on us. It's a tattletale. It tells what's on our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the scripture says. The tongue really reveals the heart. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Although we're not going to go all the way through verse 5, we're going to end where the sentence ends in verse 5, and then we'll pick up in verse 5, section B, next week, Lord willing. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. We're going to stop right there, right mid-verse. It's so amazing because James has talked to us a, a lot about the tongue. And throughout, we can see that he's mentioned it in chapter 1, 19, and 26. He mentioned it in chapter 2. 12. He mentions it again in chapter 4, verse 11, and 5, and 12. So he spends the most of chapter 3 talking about the tongue. I did not want to just bring the same old message. I didn't want to just keep on that same thing. And I've wondered, and in my study this week, I thought, why does James talk so much about the tongue? Remember, they were Jewish Christians, and much of what they had known came through what they knew from the synagogue. If you remember last week, we talked about how Jesus was seated in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he was given the book of Isaiah, and he stood up and he read that, and then sat down and began to teach. So there were many teachers in the early churches, and you were given that opportunity that you could stand and speak and give a portion of Scripture, explain it. So James saw that there was a real problem there. We're going to examine that, because he says that really the new life, the transformation, salvation is going to show up in the way that we talk. It's going to show in our tongue, our speech, because that tells on our heart. It's really going to show who we are. So James is demanding here that we recognize that living faith shows itself by controlling the tongue. So he talks about the tongue over and over. And remember, we mentioned that, what was it, in a year? Because we have, what, 18 to 25,000 words a day in our normal vocabulary. In one year, we would have made 66 
800-page books. I think we talked about that. that was some while back. That's how many words. One-fifth of our life is spent talking. Maybe for preachers, it may be a little higher. <laughs> so, but throughout these verses, and we begin in this third chapter, all the way down through verse 12, he's talking about the mouth, he's talking about the tongue, and it's frequently in reference to speech. What is our speech? What is our language? Somebody has asked the question, why doesn't James use the heart instead of the tongue? And it's interesting because in the Hebrew way of thought, it was the individual member that was thought to be guilty. Let me give you an example. Remember, we read about feet that are swift to shed blood. Like the feet were guilty. They were the culprits for murder. Or the eyes of adultery. In other words, the eyes were guilty. And of course we know it's the inner man. It's that inner person. So in the Hebrew, it often talks about there's a, a desire to have a concrete expression about the practical application. Here James is using the idea of a tongue as really revealing what the heart is. It's really showing what's at the, at the part that the mouth and the tongue is what he's blaming to be in, as if it were personified, as if the tongue were guilty of just running amok, <laughs> just doing what it should on its own. It's simply that they are the organ by which, of course, the heart expresses itself. So we understand that. But the Jews would say, oh, it was the tongue that was guilty, or the mouth. So in that sense, James is personifying the tongue as the living symbol of what is at the heart, what's in our heart. And the rabbis used the idea that the tongue was like an arrow. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 64, 3 and 4, he talks about those that are rebellious, those that are going after iniquity. And it says, who sharpened their tongue like a sword and bend bows to shoot their arrows, bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. So the idea of the tongue was like that the tongue was like an arrow, not a knife, not a sword, because it could kill with deadly accuracy at a distance. So it's the tongue that could kill without being near a victim. Think of that. That's the way the rabbis considered it, that the tongue was as deadly as an arrow. And nowhere do we see that as James talks about the union of faith and works is more visible by our speech. Our mouth gives it away what's really on our heart. It's like carrying a concealed weapon, walking around and all of a sudden you open the mouth and it's not concealed anymore. <laughs> there it is. What's the first thing when you go to the doctor that they say? At least when I was a kid, they used to say, open your mouth, put that tongue depressor in. They want to look around and see what's in the mouth. Or the nurse, open your mouth. She puts that thermometer right in there. Take the physical temperature. So James is using the mouth in that sense. He's taking our spiritual temperature. He's looking at it because nothing is more liable to reveal the heart of man. You talk to an unsaved person. Find out what they're interested in. Oh, you like football. Who's your team? Da, da, da. Boy, and you can lead that conversation. And of course, you want to lead it right back to the Lord. 
an unsaved person, you can get them talking about whatever is of interest to them. And they'll express, boy, that's just a joy to talk about what's on their heart. Remember, Peter was in the courtyard while they were trying Jesus in that mock trial. What did they say of Peter? Something about what the, the way you talk gives you away. Your speech betrays you. Thank you. Your speech betrays you. And how true that is. And so what does Peter do? He begins to curse. He begins to say, oh, then I'm not going to allow my speech to betray me in this way or that way. So, oh, we've got to watch the words. When Isaiah, because he's wanting really to confess that in his life, he's wanting to confess something about him. He's in the midst. Isaiah sees a vision of God high and lifted up. And he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. James is saying that very same thing. So now in chapter 3, he's calling us to measure our speech. We want to see if our speech is consistent with the reality of our faith. We're going to look at that. Controlling the tongue then is essential, and James gives us some several reasons. We're going to look at those in the next few weeks. So in James chapter 3, verse 1, well, that's where we're going to begin. James calls us to control the tongue because the potential for condemnation is so great. Look at verse 1, and, and let's go on in verse 2. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. We're going to look at that. Let's kind of take that apart, because my brethren, stop being so many teachers knowing that we're going to receive the greater judgment. So now he's talking about judgment. He's talking about condemnation. The whole context of what he says from beginning through end is that the tongue is going to be that indicator of where we are spiritually. So he's saying, take care not to thrust yourself into a teaching position because basically the teacher trades on his tongue. There is a high liability that there may be abuse there and potential judgment if you do not speak the truth. I've really been amazed and, and made much aware, especially this week. I, I've talked to Sylvia a couple times this week about, you know, I'm just not that bright, just not that smart. And it's so wonderful that the Word of God just lays everything out. Because I get to stand up here and sound like, man, I really know. It's the Spirit of God that uses the Word, and the Word is all laid out, and it's right there. Line upon line, precept upon precept, truth upon truth. And so that we see that it's the Word of God that's working in our lives, and so teachers are called to be at a higher level of judgment. They're called to stand at a higher plate, so you've got to take care not to thrust yourself into a teaching position because a teacher basically trades on that tongue and he could abuse it, he could misuse that. Today, and we've got to recognize that the Great Commission tells us to go into all the world, to preach the gospel, to teach, 
the all things that have been commanded. So why is it then that it seems like James is saying, wait a minute, don't thrust yourself into a teaching position. Now, having introduced this subject at the level of teaching at the beginning, he is moving kind of on to general terms and to everyone. Because the teachers are going to have a stronger judgment. He's going to hold us accountable that we're telling the truth, that we're putting the work in, studying, to be sure that we know that it is in line with everything. Now, some might say, well, wait a minute. The Great Commission says teach. That that's everyone's job is to preach and teach Jesus Christ. But here he's saying, don't be, don't be quick to be a teacher. What he's telling us is don't spout off at the mouth, I guess you, in the vernacular. Don't just be too quick to just say, well, this is what I think. Let's go back. Let's look at it. Let's prepare ourselves. Because as Paul told the young man, Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So we want to be teachers of God's word. We need to be proclaiming. That's what our command is. And I think that's what James is going to get to. It's not a contradiction here. He's not going against anything. He's saying here, use the proper measure, articulate the faith, teach the faith. And he points out that also that dead faith, and we're going to get more into that. Dead faith will just be shown as in empty words. It's just going to be showing itself as not having anything. So even those who teach need to take a personal inventory of their speech to see that the faith is real, that the faith is vital, that your faith is growing. So you see, as teachers, that's what we are wanting to do. We're wanting to take and look at the Word of God and make sure we're in line with the Word of God and we're growing and we are standing firm upon it. So showing all of this, let's look more closely at verse 1. My brothers, let not many become teachers. Actually, in the Greek text, it's interesting because my brothers comes after let not many become teachers. So that's where the emphasis is. Don't let many become teachers, my brothers. That's not to deny the fact that God wants us to teach his word. He wants us to do that. And he's talking to his people. He's talking to Christians here. He's saying, this is your job, but don't put yourself until you have prepared yourself. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel of grace. In 1 Timothy 3, if a man desires the office of a bishop, the scripture says he desires a good thing. So that's positive. That's a good thing. You know, in seminary, they always told us, if you didn't have time to study, you don't have to tell people. You just open your mouth and they're going to know. <laughs> it's it's going to be obvious. So he's saying, my brothers, he's speaking everybody, all of Christians. When you haven't prepared yourself, if you have, if you're not ready, he's saying, watch out. In other words, now's the time to make sure that we are ready. Now's the time to make sure that we are prepared. Because when we do get that opportunity, Brother Dick was telling me of sharing of a, a need for a neighbor that he's wanting to share the gospel with. Amen. He's preparing now and he's looking, how do I get the gospel in there? That's what we need to be doing. 
Now, what does he mean to become a teacher? What kind of teacher is he talking about? So James used the word didaskalos, which is a word that sometimes is translated as master. That's the way it's translated in the Gospels. And we could conclude that he's really talking about a recognized teacher. Somebody who's in a, a teaching office or a preaching office, something like that. Don't rush into a teaching office. Don't rush into a preaching office. In other words, you really need to be prepared. Because remember, among the Jewish thought, rabbis were well, well respected. A rabbi, a teacher of the word, was thought to be a very high honor. They were given honor and throughout all of their society. Oh, there's the rabbi, the rabbi. As a matter of fact, they taught that a child had to give reverence to their parents, honor to their parents, but more honor to the rabbi. So much so that if, let's say, an enemy had come and captured your parents and the rabbi, you must first seek the release of the rabbi before your own parent. That the rabbi, why was that? Because your parents brought you into this world in a physical sense, but the rabbi was thought to have helped bring you into the world in a spiritual sense and bring you alive in a spiritual sense. So you can see there were men, remember like Nicodemus, they were recognized teachers. They were recognized and honored by people in the New Testament times. So now we've come into the New Testament church. Many of these Jewish Christians now come in, and what do they want? They want that position of being highly honored, like that of the rabbis. They wanted to enjoy that place, and that's what James is saying here. Don't rush into that. Don't push yourself in, because there were some, evidently, and I think that's one of the reasons James talks about the tongue so much, is that there was such a problem there, because some were getting up and just proclaiming things that they thought, well, this is probably the way it should be, and they did not know, and they hadn't put the study in, and they were teaching others. And so he said, watch out. A true rabbi wasn't allowed to take money for teaching but his bodily needs, he was supposed to be working at a trade, but the Jews thought it was notorious. It really was a pious move to help take care of the rabbi, even to bring the rabbi into your home. You'll read some places in the Old Testament where they had a priest in their home. And that was thought to be a very high honor, that if you could support the priest and his family, that you were taking care of them. And so that same attitude was coming over into the New Testament church. Many of these people were wanting that high position. They wanted to be honored. Isn't that exactly what Jesus spoke against? In the Gospels, when he's talked about the, some of the rabbis, some of the Jews that wanted, they loved their high position. They loved being recognized as, oh, that's, that's the rabbi. Look at this is, this is the priest. This. And so Jesus condemned them. He pointedly showed them that they were just looking for the praise of men rather than the praise of God. I think that self-seeking Honor is what the Lord is telling us, don't do that. Do not allow that to be in the New Testament church. 
And surely there were people in the congregation that James is talking about that were enamored with the whole aura of the position. We have to see that there are recognized teachers in churches today. There are recognized people in churches today that have been given that position. The Lord used those opportunities to say, let not many become teachers. Be very careful. Be very cautious when we embark on that. So he's saying, take great pains to make sure that you are aware of the seriousness of what you're teaching. Don't just throw things out. So often in both the Old and New Testament, warnings were given about the responsibilities of teachers of God's Word. There are places in 2 Peter and Jude where God pronounced judgment on false teachers. Hebrews 13 and 7, God will have those that are in teaching position give an account of every word. And so it, it's so amazing that being a teacher of God's word is a dangerous occupation for anyone. I've heard of young men surrender to the ministry and then said, well, I don't need to prepare myself. The Holy Spirit's going to teach me everything that I need to know. You know, Paul was saved on that road to Damascus. Paul going off to Damascus, and what does the Lord do? We read in Corinthians that the Lord takes him out to the Nabataean Arabian desert for over two years. He teaches him. He prepares him. Now, that's a preparation, and I think that's exactly what James is saying here. Prepare yourself. Be ready. I think whatever, however it might be, you may not have to go to a seminary. That doesn't have to be, but you have to work to prepare yourself. You may say, well, maybe some of us can avoid it. We can avoid that liability of being a teacher. But verse 2 says, we all stumble in many things. He's calling all of us, he said, and that word stumble is the same word that's sometimes translated sin. We all sin in many ways. So now he's going to show us how to control sin. We all stumble, and that's a really a broad view of all of our depravity, of all of our fallenness, that we have all are in the same boat. We're all in the same position. Can anyone say, I've cleansed my heart, I'm pure from sin? Proverbs 20 and verse 9 says, the answer is nobody, none of us. 2 Chronicles 6, 36 says, there is no man who does no sin. We're all in the same position. I don't think I could put it any plainer than that. We've all sinned. We've all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and we sin in many different ways. And the word here, stumble, is that same word for sin. So he is saying here, James is telling us, he's really showing us a kind of a self-confession. Don't hurry to be spending your life using your mouth if you realize how it could be potentially dangerous by teaching untruths. Because we're sinners, we want to take it on reluctantly. We want to take it on rather than hurriedly, but we want to be careful. I appreciate what Brother Danny always says. He says, I'm not that guy. <laughs> I'm not that guy. So what does he have to do? He has to go back and spend time and study, look and see, is this what it's about? You see, that's what all of us, what we have to do. So the scripture refers to the disaster of the mouth. The Bible refers directly to a wicked tongue. 
talks about a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue. Do we need more? <laughs> it could go on. All you have to do is look at concordance and you get all of those. Just look up tongue and you get all of those and I'm amazed. Look at how the tongue shows us that we all stumble. And you think, hey, wait a minute, I, I've done this one or I've done that one. <laughs> Did you see yourself in, in, in any of those? Have we seen ourselves that, uh-oh, maybe I've been guilty. No wonder God put your tongue in a cage behind its teeth. No wonder he's said, okay, because you know what? The tongue is in a slippery place, and sometimes it slips right out, right? A nice wet place, easy to slip out. So here Jesus is really speaking about, and I'm going to refer back to Matthew 12 and 34. Jesus is in the, to the Pharisees. He's accused them because they've said, you're doing this by the power of, of the demons. You're doing this by the power of hell rather than of heaven. And Jesus said to them, oh, generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? That's a basic truth. You see, that's why James is telling us so much about the tongue, because it reveals the heart. It's going to come out. James gets back to that very same principle a little bit later. How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I expect you to talk in the way you talk because your heart is the way that the heart is. Good man, out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account of it at the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Wait a minute. I thought I was saved by grace through faith, not of works. And yet this says, by my words I'll be justified. Why is that? Because with the mouth... Confession is made. The heart believes with a mouth confession is made unto Jesus Christ. Do you realize that in the final judgment, our eternal destiny is determined by your words? Think about that. Consider that. We're judged because literally you're judged according to your words because it's a tattletale of your heart. It really shows what's happened within now, we understand we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. But our words are going to be that which gives an account. I remember hearing some time back about, in England, somebody that had gotten a new antenna. And they put this new antenna up, and they got a broadcast from Texas. They tuned in and thought, what is this? And they ended up calling the station in Texas, and they said, you couldn't have just received that broadcast. It was broadcast 10 years ago. 
So you see, sometimes what we put out there in the air, it doesn't go away. Now, scientifically, we don't understand all that how that is, that it's bouncing off the, the waves, but they thought somehow through satellites that that transmission 10 years later, still bouncing around, ended up in England. We stand and will give an account of every word. I don't think God has to sit down there and write out every word that we're saying. He doesn't have angels up there saying, oh, you said this, you said that. Oh, I've got that, got it. They're not making 66 books of 800 words a day or a year because our words come back. Our words are out there. And we don't understand, but God will hold us to account that every judgment Everything is going to be brought back into line. He's telling us, James is, is telling us, that with a new heart comes a new tongue. But even the new tongue can be a victim of its own fallenness, our old nature. That's why James is saying, control your tongue, because it has so much power to condemn. Secondly, it has power to control. Not only has that power to condemn, power to control. Verse 2, if anyone stumbles or offend, not in word, he is a perfect man. The only people who don't sin with their mouth are perfect people. That's what it says, right? The only one who's perfect. Well, the only one that I know of that was perfect was Jesus Christ, who spoke everything exactly. As a matter of fact, in John 7 and 46, not far from where you read, Brother Jackie, said, no man ever spoke like this. That's what they said of Jesus. No error. It said, who did no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. That's how perfect Jesus was. So now what he is telling us here, he's either saying, if a man does not stumble in his words or offend in his mouth, he would be an absolute perfect person. Well, that could be what he's telling us. Or he may be really saying, none of you are perfect, so forget the idea that you think that you might not stumble in your words because only perfect people don't do that and nobody's perfect. Either one of those, I'm not sure. But I believe that he's saying here that when you are mature, when you're perfect, when you're full grown, you've learned to control your words. You've learned to control the mouth. My mouth has gotten me in trouble for saying, especially with my kids, I can do that. I can do that. And you know what? I've got a long list of jobs to do. And me and my big mouth, I'll, I'll just do that. We can do it. Amen. You see, sometimes we have to watch our mouth, that our mouth can get us in so much trouble. Now, I, I love doing those things. I want you to know I, I like doing it. I, I open my mouth and I'm, and I'm happy to do it. It just seems like I open my mouth a little too much and the list gets longer and longer. And you know what? I've had a chance to learn a little bit about electricity. I go up to that switch panel. Have you ever seen the electrical panel on your house? And there's all those breakers, all those switches. And at the top, at least on, at our old house, the top there's a master. And I'm not sure if I'm shutting the power off by hitting the little switches. So I hit, let's just shut it all off. James is telling us you have control here of the tongue that's like that master switch. That's what he's saying. You can be full grown. You can be mature. You can be grown up 
Because now this master switch is going to help lead you in every area of your life. When we can control the tongue, we become mature because then the body is kind of slower to follow, huh? The mouth is so quick to get us in trouble. The body is a little slower to react into sin. So you see, now he's telling us the perfect man, the mature man, cuts that switch off and has learned how to control the tongue. And he gives us two illustrations. He tells us also about, in verse, verse 2, that perfect man is also able, able to bridle the whole body. Do you see that idea? So we control it. That master shutoff for the whole electricity is in the tongue. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. We may turn their whole body. So now he's giving us two illustrations. The bit and the bridle into the horse's mouth. So that you can control the horse. Because I don't see horses volunteering to come out and plow a field like of old days. You know, I didn't see horses volunteering to, hey, I just want you to get on my back and ride me today. See, what do you have to do? You have to lead them. You have to put that bit in their and direct them. James is telling us here that we need to be directing our mouths, our tongue in that same way. That we're holding it, we're in control of it. It's the Holy Spirit in control of our life and controlling us. And then he gives us another illustration in verse 4. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by every small rudder wherever the pilot desires. There's the illustrations that lead us. That great ship, Paul in Acts chapter 27 talks about this ship that I can't remember exactly what it was. There were something like 237 souls aboard when Paul is shipwrecked. So it was a great ship for that time. Today we have super tankers. Still a small rudder takes and moves that huge thing. Have you seen how they go through the canals? The Panama Canal, the Suez Canal, where that huge vessel can be piloted into such a small area. You see, that's why James is telling us, look at these illustrations and learn to control the tongue because that's going to lead others to Christ. And that's where we get off to end up in verse 5, the beginning of verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. If I have controlled my tongue, if I have learned to control my tongue, and you know what, James doesn't end right there, but we're going to have to close out with this point. And he's going to talk more and more about the tongue, and we've seen how the tongue can get us in all kinds of trouble. I don't like to announce, well, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that because my tongue gets me in trouble. But I tell you, I've been very convicted this week in looking about this that I'm asking the help of God's Holy Spirit to learn greater control of my tongue. Not that it's out of order or out of line, but I want it to bring myself more into the image of Christ. I want to be brought more into the image of Christ. I want the Holy Spirit to control my tongue so that the things that I say are a blessing. So that the things that I say, because you know what? Our tongue is a powerful instrument. It can tear people down. It can tear down churches. 
It can destroy relationships. It can wreck a marriage. It can devastate a family. It can rip up a nation. It can lead to murder. It can lead to war. But on the other hand, think about what our tongue can do. It can create love, enthusiasm, encouragement, comfort, peace, joy. A powerful, powerful thing is the tongue. And so when we want to get hold of it, we want to control it. We want it to be under such control that has all of our body. So James says, look at your speech. Is your speech of a living faith? And apply yourself to controlling your tongue because it's the power to condemn you and it has the power to control you. Very, very practical applications that James gives us today, isn't it? Very powerful. How do we use the tongue? How is our tongue being used today? It's used to either promote ungodliness, strife, fightings and fussings, or the tongue is used to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim love, to build others up, to encourage them, to strengthen them. That's why I really want to have my tongue under complete control of God's Holy Spirit. Will you just make an agreement with me today that you'll also <laughs> seek to do that? That's why James is calling all of them my brothers. All of us. All of us are the children of God. All of us as his people. That we will control our tongue to the furtherance of God's will. And that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit because we all sin, we all stumble in every way. But we want to mature, we're growing, we're becoming greater and stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today and we hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions of a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.